real life superpowers. You know, entrepreneurship is, uh, is an instinct. It's not about experience. It's either you have it or you don't. Uh, you can learn some of the traits, but I think uh, it's something that is mostly instinctive. Hey everyone, today we speak with Udi Ziv, CEO of Ernix, a startup that he stepped into in order to scale and successfully turned it into a unicorn. He's a serial entrepreneur, selected by the Wall Street Journal as one of 100 Israeli tech leaders you need to know. He has a lot of experience-based insights on what it takes to succeed as an entrepreneur. Enjoy your listen. Real Life Superpowers So welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. What are you up to these days? Oh, you know, so many things. Uh, it's Q4. Uh, and uh, what does the CEO does in Q4? Uh, chase deals. It's mostly what I'm doing, like every year for the last uh, 31 years. And on a personal note, uh, two kids that are abroad, which is, uh, where are they? Uh, what are they up to? Are they safe? Uh, that's, uh, that's roughly it. And you said that you feel like for 30 years you're chasing deals. Is that some form of essence or is that, that sort of something that has to go with the job? No, it, it goes with the job. It's the uh, core of uh, what a company is about, you know, getting the business done. And, uh, and obviously as the year gets to, to an end, every quarter gets to an end, that's, that's mostly what, uh, what companies are, are dealing with. Uh, Uh, you know, finding the balance because it's also a quarter where we uh, plan the year ahead. So you know, it's, uh, it's kind of the contradiction of thinking 12 and maybe 24, 36 months forward at the same time, you know, on an hourly basis, checking where the deals are. That's kind of the, the reality of, uh, of our lives. Do you like the chase? Absolutely. It's fun. It's, uh, it's the adrenaline. It's like, you know... Uh, It's like the new world hunting, uh, and, and some people use that term uh, for, for sales, right? Um, it's the thrill of hunting, uh, absolutely. Was it always uh, a key drive for you? You know, adrenaline is, and, uh, and hunting gives you a lot of adrenaline, but uh, in younger stages of companies that have been you know, an entrepreneur and running large organizations, uh, you, you don't hunt anything, you basically build. stuff and, and that also has adrenaline inventing things is, 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 uh, is a, you know gives you a huge adrenaline rush uh, so it could be anything but uh, but hunting is definitely on, on the good and bad sides I mean it doesn't always work and, and often you you uh, and you know in our business you may spend 12 months chasing uh, a customer and at the last day uh, you know they may say look uh, you know things are tough now let's let's talk next year and yeah. So there's also that side of the business. But yeah, it's, it's, it is fun. What's the difference between uh, hunting adrenaline as like, you know, a corporate executive between being an entrepreneur and hunting? You know, like, um, you know, there should be a different kind of adrenaline rush. It's a different kind of deal hunting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think the difference is survival. When you're a small startup, when you're an entrepreneur, every 
every customer you hunt, and you know, maybe you should move away from that term, but uh, uh, is is the uh, is about surviving. It's about will I make it or not? Uh, you're running a large organization. It's uh, I hate to say this, but it's one of many that uh, you know are, are happening at the same time. And you know, you're you you measure yourself, and you're being measured in a similar fashion, but uh, but each instance of a customer uh, is uh, means less you when know, you're a large corporation versus a startup. It's much more kind of core, uh, much more basic. And then how do you, if it's a big organization, then how do you try to double down, I guess, on culture and trying to see how, I mean, you want everybody on the sales team to be hungry uh, and to mourn each deal as if it's a startup. So, but then at like, at like a high level, it's not the case. So it, how do you strike a, a form of balance in that respect with, you know, with respect to mindset? Yeah. First of all, for, for each individual, I mean, the, the way large corporations are, are built, if they do it right, for each individual, it is a matter of life and death, uh, whether they win or not the deal. Uh, when you look at an aggregate, maybe it's less so, but, uh, but if I do my job right, each one of the people will feel it's life or death uh, for them. Uh, but generally speaking about culture, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm not the one that believes in uh, you know values uh, printed on on walls. Uh, I'm, I'm much more of a you know culture is built and established by looking at examples. And uh, people look at me. People look at the how how I or you know other people in the company behave and, and how important things are for them, how emotional it is. And you know, I think uh, the word emotional is, is a positive word. If if you take your business, you know, to your heart, uh people sense that and, and it's uh it's contagious almost. You know, people see it and, and they want to be and do this and do the same. I used to think that brand framework and a company mission and vision Or a bit of fluff, maybe even BS. And then as I sort of evolved, I, I realized that it actually doesn't have to be hollow words. And I think the companies that do best are ones where if you speak to an employee in the corridor, you, you can really sense the company vision and mission just by, from a conversation about the environment in the office. Uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, verbatim what they state it is, but just in general, when it's wrapped and aligned around the same goals, I think it does matter. Do you agree? Absolutely. But for that, it needs to be real. I think the vision and mission, uh, all of it is setting the vector for yourself and for the you know, people that are around you. Uh, absolutely. That's important. But as long as it's real. As long as it's not just uh, words that, are, that sound or look right. Uh, in that case, people basically, I mean, at best, ignore and, 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 and you know, even worse, you become cynical about it. So if it's real, If you're really about what you were saying you're about, uh, absolutely. Uh, and then it's always hard work to get the whole organization uh, to actually feel that. And I agree with you, unless it's, it's coming from, unless you can hear the echo coming from employees in the company, it's meaningless. It's just meaningless. And your journey has been quite a successful one. Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial environment? Uh, absolutely not. Not as a personal you know, child growing up, not in a family of entrepreneurs, absolutely not. I uh, actually stumbled on entrepreneurship uh, with uh, a good friend, uh, 
person by the name of Shai Bassi, who is a 200% entrepreneur uh, at heart. Uh, we became friends in, in school, and uh, he asked me to join him. Uh, and that was my entrepreneurship uh, school, uh, just being with him. Uh, just to put it in perspective, uh, this was 1991 when we started. Uh, there were no VCs in Israel. Uh, just you know, to, to, to paint a picture of how different Israel was at the time in terms of the starting company. We were completely bootstrapped uh, by people that didn't, didn't have the funds, uh, meaning it's a very different journey. Uh, but Shai and actually his father, Ruben, were really entrepreneurs that kind of, and, and grabbed me with them. And the three of us basically created something that, uh, you know, became something very, very significant. Uh, the old ones, without you know raising millions and millions of dollars uh, from day one, uh, etc. And how much did his their experience play in? You know, entrepreneurship is a, is an instinct. It's not about experience. It's either you have it or you don't. Uh, I mean, you can learn some of the traits, but I think uh, it's something that uh, that is mostly instinctive. And uh, I think they've done a beautiful job. I think. All of us together is, you know, there, there's a big word I use a lot, and that is balance. Uh, so how do you take anything and, and create a balance between the different factors? And, and I think you know, there was a great balance in, in how we started between, you know, being a true entrepreneur and going crazy and, and doing things the, the, the right way, building it the right way, etc. I think this is what got the you know, company we founded, Top Tier, to become you know, very, very successful uh, in the way it was run. And you're saying it's an instinct, and I agree, but the fact that you had such um, experienced partners, did you feel like you were looking to them as mentors? Well, Ruben Agassi, Shai's father, was very experienced. Shai was absolutely not experienced. That's why I'm saying it's instinct. Uh, having said that, absolutely. I think uh, you can have mentors that are very young. Uh, I think mentorship is not only about experience, not only, definitely not about age. It's about the traits you have. And uh, I think, again, the, the beautiful thing we had is that we each mentored each other in, in what we were strong at. And uh, from an entrepreneurship perspective, from you know, taking the risk, uh, dreaming big, uh, definitely I was mentored. Uh, and then, you know, uh, maybe on the, uh, on the doing it right, uh, and building something solid, uh, I'm fairly sure they would say I, I, they, I was mentoring them. Uh, and, and again, that's a great balance you get in, in, a, in a good partnership. That you have. If you had to give like this, like a certain attribute of each one of the teammates, meaning let's say Shai Ruven yourself, what would be like the one characteristic, uh, key differentiation between each one? Uh, Ruben was the uh, experienced, uh, solid businessman who basically taught us you know, the basics of business. Uh, when we were kids, we were very young, we were in the early 20s. Uh, uh, Shai was a dreamer, uh, brilliant, uh, probably the most impressive, talented, successful dreamer I've ever worked with. Uh, uh, and I was the executioner. I had to get stuff done. and. Uh, and I think the combination of the three was really uh, very well balanced. Uh, we we fought a lot. Uh, you know, it always, uh, for the employees later on, it always looked like uh, one big happy family, but then we fought a lot. I mean, we had a lot of arguments because you get a lot of different vectors pulling in different directions. 
but at the end of the fight, and you know, we, we used to have a tiny, tiny uh, conference room where we, we sometimes spend nights arguing, uh, you know, raising our voices. Uh, uh, but we, when we walked out in the morning, uh, it was always here's the decision, here's how we do things, and, uh, and it worked beautifully. Again, it created the balance of the company. What was the idea? What made you join this? Yeah, that's, uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't any idea. We were just, we knew we wanted to do something. Uh, we didn't know what. Uh, it was bootstrapped. So basically the first five years of the stock year was uh, we were doing projects for other companies. Uh, but uh, doing it in a smart way, meaning we were able to keep uh, core technology, pieces of core technology created throughout these years to ourselves and we without funding remember so we had to fund ourselves by doing projects for larger companies um, we started collecting assets technology assets uh, that we could in five years in, into the journey we started leveraging towards our own product which at the time was was called uh, enterprise portal it was a web-based uh, uh, portal that allowed um, business applications that were not on the web, remember this was uh, mid-90s, to actually be exposed on the web. And basically, companies that were not able to get their their software onto the web used their uh, top tier to to kind of expose and get a web experience. Uh, By the way, five years after that, this is where SAP acquired top tier for at the time a very significant amount of money uh, uh, because SAP was considered to be the company that missed the web and uh, and they had to very quickly uh, webify their applications and the user understood and was the plan when you set off to provide services and try to see how through those services you evolve into a product yeah we always had uh, the notion that we would become our own company with our own product uh, just so we can afford it again very different times no no place to raise money uh, so we basically had to collect it by by doing these uh, software projects uh, by the way very innovative great software projects uh, but we did it for other companies uh, not uh, for ourselves but how did you have that wisdom that building a product would be something that at the at the long run would be more profitable and successful than uh, providing services because many companies actually opt for the service, whereas I think these days it's pretty clear that a product would be the way to go, but I'm not sure in the 90s that was very clear. No, I think it was clear. Uh, look, Israel was very uh, very much behind at the time. Uh, if you look at Silicon Valley, which was our model uh, the whole time, uh, the notion of product companies with VCs, etc., forming and becoming you know, very successful uh, product company was, was very well known. It's just that it wasn't something that was uh, very uh, uh, common in Israel, and definitely you know, the funding wasn't. So we knew what we wanted to do. We knew the aspiration was 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 very significant. Just that we had to do it in a different way than you know, companies in the last, I guess, twenty years are doing. So who are these these people who believed in you? Like who are the investors then? It was before, uh, pre-VCs. So who are these crazy people investing in these twenty-year-olds? You know, with uh, little experience. Like who are the people who who jumped on and like, you know, what what did that mean for you? So for the first five years, nobody. Uh, we had 
some basic funding from Ruben and Shai, but very basic, um, and, and the rest was uh, was self-funded by the company. There weren't uh, any investors. Uh, and by the way, maybe if, uh, if we were seeking investors, they would say, you're crazy, you are these crazy kids. Uh, uh, so at that stage, no one. Uh, the first money we've raised was five years later, uh, 1996. And this is when we had the, uh, the actual product, uh, or the initial phases of the actual product of the, uh, the enterprise portal. And, and by then, it was fairly clear that the, the, this, there's something significant. So actually, you A-B tested this whole time and created the brainstorming of the idea while giving services. You know, if, if, you, if you have the funds, you can go in a straight line towards your goal. Now, often it won't be successful. You know, many companies fail uh, in doing so and disappear into the wind. Uh, when you do it the way we have done it, basically developing for other people, you definitely don't go in a straight line because different companies pull you in different directions. And... Uh, uh, but as the time progressed, we, we basically, the common thing about everything we've done just happened to be that it had a lot to do with uh, how consumers or how the users, I would say, uh, consume applications. Uh, and we thought we, we found a, mo- a modern, unique way of doing it and kind of it, it more or less was the commonality between everything we we were doing, that's how the notion of this enterprise portal came about. But that's an amazing way to find that product market fit, because you're working with different clients, you're not just guessing, you're actually providing a service and getting feedback and seeing what's resonating and what isn't, and through that, honing what becomes a product, I think that's a fantastic way to go, like I think, versus, you know, knowing exactly what you want to do and getting funding, I, I would say any day, that sounds like a better plan. Would you do it differently? It's definitely a better plan, but it has its costs. It's slow because you, you experiment. Uh, it's also slow because you don't have the funding, which is, is an accelerator. And definitely, you know, if you look at the crazy thing, craziness of uh, what's happening in the market now or happened in the last 12 months, uh, funding is a, it's a mega accelerator of, uh, of operations. Um, so I think it's more solid, but it's slower. Interesting, because I would say, you know, the fundings are mega accelerators, but they sometimes sort of make startups lift their uh, ear off the ground. Uh, and when you have to listen all the time, uh, then you have to be more accurate. So I, I guess that's, uh, those are, you know, just different tactics, maybe, uh, towards the same goal. Yeah, I, I, by the way, I fully agree. I think many companies are quoting you lifted their ears off the ground uh, while, you know, maybe losing direction because of the uh, great idea and a lot of money. Uh, again, it's, it's all about balance. Uh, it's good if you can run faster, if you know what you're doing. Uh, it's also, you need to remember not to get confused uh, because the fact that you've raised a lot of money doesn't mean that you're going to be successful, doesn't mean that you can build a solid business with solid business model, with uh, uh, you know, sustainable growth. Uh, it just means that at a certain point in time, someone thought you could, and that, that's, that's all it means. Yeah, it seems like the press sometimes and social media tend to pop the champagne on the actual uh, rounds of funding, 
versus what success truly means. When sometimes even uh, there are very impressive lifestyle businesses uh, that are not on the radar uh, because they don't qualify as success based on very narrow metrics. So it's interesting uh, to hear, you know, sort of that perspective uh, just in general of of just being on the ground and adding value and understanding what value means to your customers. Yeah, and, you know, being on a, in, in the tech scene for uh, over 30 years now, um, you know, I've also seen it evolve. And I, and I think you're right. I think the, uh, the measurement of success has changed. I think a lot of it has to do with the media. A lot of it has to do with uh, what, uh, what is being celebrated. Just the fact, celebrating how much money you've raised. I mean, it's great. It's a great achievement. It's not easy to raise money. It's not easy to convince people that your business is worth uh, investing in and definitely not these amounts. Uh, so, chapeau, that's great. But what does it mean? I mean, are you able to provide real value to customers? Are you able to provide a sustainable business model that would uh, that is not just about uh, you know um, spending five dollars to 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 gain one dollar. Uh, and, and I think that is something that happened in the market in the last couple of years. Uh, we all enjoy this, uh, uh, and, but, but it has its price because sometimes people do get confused. And, you know, our, our industry is a manic, you know, manic depressive industry. When, when everything's going crazy, uh, it, it's really crazy. And, you know, Everyone is being told, forget about business models, forget about anything, just grow, 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 spend as much money as you can. Uh, and a minute later, uh, when depression hits, uh, that side of the, the manic depression, uh, it's all about, you know, layoffs and, 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 uh, oh, what do you mean? What about profitability? Uh, a word that wasn't even used in the last couple of years. Uh, now, that's the, that's the, the basics of the industry nowadays, uh, this manic depression. Uh, we, we need to learn how to live with that. There's good side of that. Balance, as you said. Yeah, yeah. I think it's all about balance and, you know, maybe being older than some of the people, maybe being, uh, having been through the uh, 2001 uh, crisis and the 2008 one and, and going through these cycles, uh, you learn that you just not to get confused, not not to get confused in the manic uh, and and also not in the depression side of it. Uh, it's all about balance. And if you do it right, the the spikes are uh, I mean they exist, but they're much softer and smaller than uh, than you know what you're seeing out there. What is success then? How do you know it? It's not raising money. It may not be an exit. Well, like how did you know it when you were successful? When did you own it? Yeah, you know, maybe uh, the best uh, answer would be, you know, when, when SAP acquired Top Tier, uh, it was a $400 million acquisition at the, right after the crash of the market. So it, it was a very, very significant financial uh, transaction. But I remember the first customer uh, conference SAP had, um, I was in the audience, and uh, the technology of Top Tier was presented to customers. As a, as a default for all of them uh, in the future. And I had this thought in my mind that with all the money that you know the transaction was involved, I'm so much prouder of 
just the fact that now what I've built with my and my team's own hands will reach the whole world. So uh, there's always the financial aspects of success, but I think really it's about how much difference do you make? Have you able, it doesn't, I mean, I'm definitely you can say in, in healthcare and other areas where it's probably more important, but even in business, have you able, were you able to build something that changes the world? And I think, uh, to me, that's, uh, that's what we should strive, we should strive for, uh, being in a, in a place where potentially you can change the world. It's very uh, rewarding, very rewarding. I love that. And I think you can serve uh, within the, the inner compass for a startup, you know, raising money, but not exactly sure what success is uh, with respect to profitability and all those words run around now and a bubble bursting. Then I think if you're making an impact, then I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. And because uh, uh, again, this manic depression, people get confused. They're measuring the wrong things. Uh, and I think what I try to do, and it's not always easy, uh, you know, you're being pulled in different directions, is really to ask the basic questions. Is this bringing value to customers? Is uh, our customers happy? Uh, is it you know, my great investor's deck? Uh, or is it really that a customer would say that this is what uh, it's doing? Uh, and, and I think at the end of the day, and again, it goes back to the same word, to balance, if if you're building something that does bring value, customers are happy with, uh, good things will happen. And if the market is large enough, of course, good things will happen. Even if, uh, you know, at any given point in time, there is a sexier company that is doing something that is, uh, you know, hotter than what you're doing. If, if you're building something that is real, that brings real value, customers are happy with it, uh, the market is large enough, uh, good things will happen. Did you take time off after that exit? <laughs> Not after the exit. Uh, it's always uh, when you, you get off one road and you hit a larger road and uh, cars are flying all over you and uh, so you have to drive fast. Uh, but I did for, uh, for a few months after I left SAP six years after the transaction. But I'm actually not good at taking time off. Why? I love the action. You know, maybe some people will say I didn't exercise the muscle of taking time off, uh, which is probably true. But uh, but uh, I, I give myself the rationale that I just love the action. And I enjoy it. I enjoy the uh, the, uh, the adrenaline of the action. Uh, I enjoy the family that goes comes with it. And obviously, I have my own family uh, that I love and enjoy time, spending time with. But there's always a family at the office. Uh, and, and I enjoy the, the camaraderie, the work with people, the partnership. Um, it's a little lonely when you're taking time off. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out calcalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. And, and what was that larger road that you felt that you were now embarking? Yeah, so, you know, anytime you're, you're doing something that is smaller, uh, could be extremely exciting, could be something that potentially could change the world, but it is small. 
And uh, when you're small, you don't you don't have the tools and company, the people or the processes, uh, the systems um, to operate in a big way. Um, and when you either grow organically, uh, which uh, which also happens, and you're experiencing this experience nowadays, uh, or when you're joint forces acquired by by a large company, uh, all of a sudden you, in, in one day you get exposure of the whole market. And, and again, if I take the top here at SAP example, Coffee was a 270 people company. When SAP acquired us, they were 35,000, the largest enterprise software company in the world. Almost every transaction in the world somehow is related to, to, uh, to SAP. And all of a sudden, from you know, chasing, again, going back to chasing customers, uh, our own customers at Top Tier, which is a painful thing, but in any small company, all of a sudden, most of the market is, is using what they're doing. That's a very significant highway uh, that uh, you uh, you get on, and, and it has different uh, constraints, different requirements, different demands. But it's really an amazing school for me, uh, coming from a smaller company. Did you suddenly feel like you're punching above your weight? No, I never had that feeling. Uh, but as I said, it was an amazing school. Uh, we came out of a startup that's the first thing we've done uh, of ten years. Uh, we we knew we were doing a great thing, uh, but all of a sudden we came to a company that uh, was the best in the world and the largest in the world. And there's so much to learn. And when people ask me how, you know, how how I became what I am today, and probably you know, same word balance is is you know, being an entrepreneur creates different muscles or certain muscles, uh, and and in a, in a big way. Being a large company, it, uh, you basically build very different muscles, and I think the uh, the balance between the different muscles is is what uh, creates a whole person, a whole executive. So you're coming into an office now, and it's a whole new life in a sense, and there's so much that you don't know, and I think it's probably easy to get overwhelmed. Do you have who do you who do you learn from? Is it just you know trial and error, or are there suddenly all these guidelines that you have to adhere to, and through that adjust and and absorb, or like how do you navigate this? I'll share a little bit of how I started Ernix in my current uh, company six years ago. Uh, Ernix sells mostly to insurance and banking, uh, to industries that I am not an expert in. I came in and I didn't know much about the industry. I didn't know much about product, it's a very analytical product, uh, you know, pricing, personalization, uh, very sophisticated product, and I didn't know much about technology, and I definitely didn't know much about the industry. So here's your question, what do you do? Uh, how do you know what you're doing? Um, I think, first of all, I think there's a lot of commonality in management, uh, and a lot of common sense that you bring, uh, regardless of what you know the subject matter is. Uh, Having said that, I think the most important thing is, and, and I try to tell this to every person I hire, uh, sometimes I'm successful in, in sharing that uh, uh, and sometimes not, uh, is that use your ears, not your mouth. Listen, 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 and listen. Uh, it's very tempting as a, as a manager, especially if you're kind of anxious to prove yourself to that you're worthy of the job. Uh, it's, it's very tempting to spit out what you think, uh, you know, all coming from your prior experience, uh, that's a mistake. You have to listen a lot. 
and uh, there's there are always smart people around you, people that are, know the industry, know the product, that have different perspectives. Now, of course, you know when they hired me, they wanted my experience, uh, and they wanted me to use the tools I've generated in 25 years uh, prior. Uh, but I took the time to basically kind of mix the learnings from the people that were in the company. And, and you have to be humble, you have to ask questions, you have to basically not, not say, here, I, I know what needs to be done. Uh, and then mix all that knowledge with your prior experience and knowledge, uh, which always is important. And the perspective is always good. And I think the mixture is what gives the end result at the end again, but definitely work balance. And uh, there was a chapter before Ernix where you were an employee, right? Well, yeah, I always like to think of myself as an employee as well. Okay, well, fair, but like not a partner. Uh, yeah, I was, I was an executive. I mean, I, since we sold Top Tier, uh, which was the co-founder of, uh, I was always an executive, but uh, you're always also an employee. Even now, I'm CEO for the last 10 years and uh, the board who I work for. And uh, so you're always you're part manager and part employee to a certain degree. Okay, no, but I'm, I'm sort of pointing towards you not being an entrepreneur for a while. Oh, yeah, definitely. What did that give you, being like an executive in like, a, you know, international companies like uh, uh, Nice? Because it's sort of like the, the nowadays, you know, people are, are it's like um, studying that, that they don't get it anymore. You know what I mean? And, and working at those global companies, you know, everybody wants the, you know, four people, eight people, Instagram exits. So, like, what did that give you in a sense? Like, did it give you or was it a waste of time? I think it, uh, it's absolutely a major part of the toolbox. What it gave me is uh, mostly to learn how to operate and scale. You know, and usually when you're an entrepreneur, it's very clear what you're doing and how you're doing it in a small scale. And, and I always say, you know, getting to the first million dollars of sales is very difficult. And then getting from one to ten is very difficult. Getting from ten to hundred is very difficult. And from 100 to billions, it's, it's also very difficult. It's almost like different tools that we need to use. And, uh, you know, I've been on boards of companies that, uh, great companies, that the entrepreneur grew the company to 10, 12, 15 million dollars of sales. And he thought that it, he could use the exact same tools he was using to grow the company to a larger company. It just didn't work. And I think what I got from, both being an entrepreneur, but also working as a, an executive in large companies, is the, the understanding of what it needs to operate. Yeah. What does it look like? What you should strive for when you are smaller and, and want to build an operation that, uh, that could scale that way. Uh, and I think the balance between knowing how to operate in a very small scale and a very entrepreneurship style, uh, which is a lot of risk-taking and, and a lot of... Uh, Ventures almost, uh, and, and at the same time, knowing how to operate as, as the largest in its industry company, um, it paves the road on, on what needs to be done. But we want to give some listeners some cheats. So, like, give me in a practical sense, like, give me three lessons on scaling if I want to have a global uh, things like or things to watch out from, or you know, things that you know I need to do scale. Sure, uh, I think the most difficult challenge uh, smaller companies in, uh, face in scaling up is the, what I call the hero uh, mentality. In small companies, what you mostly have 
uh, or a few heroes, usually the founders, but it could be other people around them. Uh, they basically know how to do everything and actually get everything done. And uh, whether it's in sales or in product, uh, it really doesn't matter. It's the, these heroes that create the company. Uh, heroes, as uh, as heroic as they are, can only scale that much. And uh, and you know, if, if, you know, it's easier to to uh, kind of talk about sales. So if you're a hero salesperson, one of the founders, uh, and let's say they sell five times more than a normal person could, but they don't sell twenty times more. And if you want to sell twenty times more, it has to change. And that's probably the most difficult part because the instinct of these heroes is to continue being heroes and to uh, basically shed, overshadow everyone around them in a good, not in bad intent. Um, and it's extremely important when you look at scale that there are a lot of, I would say, great people, good people, even mediocre people that get stuff done and, uh, and realization that you cannot only build an organization on these heroes is very significant because that's uh, in many cases that's when people hit a wall. So that's one. Uh, second learning is uh, in a small company you usually think that the company can should and can do everything. Uh, when you grow up, you learn that uh, even the largest of companies is are, are built on partnerships, uh, and you know uh, they're, they're different. Um, Levers for scale. One of one very significant one is um, is is the right partnerships. Uh, I remember that at SAP, uh, one point in time, the uh, SAP was selling thirty something billion dollars. I mean, it's a huge company. And the CEO said it was challenged by why are you giving so much services to uh, to, to some partners, uh, and he said. Look, yeah, we can do those services. We can get those billions ourselves, but then they won't be leveraging. We won't be leveraging their assets and their uh, presence in market. So, you know, that's a second learning. I would say that if you form the right partnerships, it's a very, very significant uh, um, scaling uh, factor. And one at three. So here's the third. Uh, very. Um, Many companies, again, small entrepreneurial companies, uh, they're all built on a single product. Uh, if you, when you talk about enterprise software, which is where I've been at for the last 30 plus years, uh, you cannot cut it with a single product. It's very tempting to say, I'm very good at this product, I'll just do this. Uh, at the end of the day, you need to be able to sell more products to the same customers. And so if the instinct is to say, I'm very good at this, let's just do this, the learning from larger companies that you have to constantly build new products and create a multi-product strategy uh, so that you have your salespeople have more to sell than the same customers. Sort of keep reinventing yourself and don't get too comfortable. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, that's always true. But also reinventing in, in, by broadening the offering, not just by you know reinventing the next feature within these, the same product. I mean, think of you know these are consumer examples, but think of uh, Apple just selling one thing. I mean, they were building computers, and then iPods, and then phones, and now look what they're doing. Look at Amazon. I mean, 
what is what is a uh, an online bookstore has to do with uh, with a cloud, the largest cloud service company in the world? Uh, at the end of the day, if you just keep doing this, the exact thing you're good at, uh, that's not good enough if you want to scale. Uh, now these were consumer product examples, but it's just the same for businesses. It's a, it's a very important learning. Why did you start Ernix? I didn't start Ernix. I joined Ernix uh, 15 years after it was started. Ernix was a great company before I joined. It was a company that was looking for scale. Uh, it had a great product, great customers, great people. And I think in some senses, uh, it was growing slower than the potential was. And when they asked me to join uh, as CEO, basically the, uh, what the investors wanted me to do was scale it up, and, uh, which is my, my passion in life. Uh, and, and, uh, and especially if you come into a good company that has solid foundation, which is always about product, people, and customers, um, it's, it's fun. It's not easy, but it's fun to scale. How do you do that? Because it's sort of like a programmer taking over a site, you know, and a different code. So, like, how do you get in a, a company, you know, and like, you know, there's also the authority thing and there's also the culture and accepting yourself and understanding, you know, the deep, I call it like metaphorically code. How do you, how do you integrate yourself? Yeah. Uh, again, there are different philosophies. Mine is uh, collaboration, engagement, partnership. You always have the authority and that's, that's a given. Uh, CEO has the authority and people get it, by the way. Uh, now the question is, how do you apply it? Do you apply it in a brute force? And, and, and there's very successful CEOs that will tell you that the first day they come in, they fire three of the VPs, uh, establish that they're the bosses. And, and you know what? I, I don't argue. I mean, if it works for them, great. Uh, my style is very different. I think, again, it's about listening, it's about collaborating, it's about forming partnerships. At the end of the day, when you're brought into a job like this, you're we brought in to make change. Uh, so obviously it's not just about that's continuing inertia. Uh, but the way to get the people to follow you, uh, in my mind, is, is, is all about partnership, collaboration, engagement with them. Uh, and, and I don't want to say slowly because it wasn't slow, but, uh, but not in radical, almost irrational movements, but rather in the more fluid, harmonic way that people understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and even if you are making changes, and obviously I did, uh, it becomes something that is, uh, that, is uh, that makes sense to people, it's rational. And it sounds like the board here are, are good partners because I'm assuming that being able to identify that the company is scaling, but it's not maximizing potential, uh, is not something that's intuitive necessarily. You're absolutely right. I think in, in, in the earnings case, I think they were smart enough and I would say in the market enough because sometimes you find boards that are completely disconnected. They look, and again, I'm not judging anyone, but uh, they look at the Excel sheets versus looking at businesses. And, and, and this one did understand the business. They were speaking to customers. They understood at a certain point in time, they understood that the value of the company is much bigger than the company thinks. Uh, and, and, and again, the word scale, I mean, now we call companies like Hermit Scales. Uh, six years ago, that term wasn't, wasn't used, but they figured that what they need to scale. And, and I guess when they looked for me, again, I didn't come from the background of the industries or even the technology, but I, I did what they thought possessed the, uh, the, uh, the scaling up muscles uh, that are required. 
which is pretty evident that you do. And I'm also assuming that this is not going to be the last startup that you enter either by founding or by joining in order to scale, right? Like you, you really love this, don't you? Yeah, I love it. I think there's nothing professionally more gratifying than taking something that has potential and, and growing it, you know, at the concern rates like kids. Yeah, I love it. And uh, yeah, I don't need to stop it. What's your superpower? <laughs> Can I say luck? Uh, luck has a lot to do with uh, a lot of powers. Not many people admit it, I guess. But uh... By the way, luck is a superpower. You know, in Hebrew, they say mazal, which is, you know, makom zman lasot, which means place, uh, a timing, and actually doing. So as an executioner in the beginning, it could be, but you have to make it in a practical sense because it's not the external. Absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. But, but uh, I think... The combination of, uh, on the one hand, being very analytical, you know, I have, I'm an engineer by, uh, by education and, and very analytical. But at the same time, I, uh, I think with very, very, very healthy instincts. And, uh, I think if you're looking at, uh, any manager, definitely CEO, I think that's a very, very important balance. Uh, if you're only intuitive, if you're only following instincts, uh, you may be doing the wrong things, if, but I also think if you're only analytical and looking only at the, uh, at the Excel sheets of the world and the business models of the world, you're also missing something. And I think of, throughout the years, I've gained kind of a very balanced combination of the analytical and intuitive way of managing, which, which I enjoy. I think it's fun, but I also think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's successful. And your kryptonite? Maybe uh, you, you touched on I me, mean, it's personal, but maybe you touched upon the, uh, the inability to uh, take time off to not do what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, one day I, I, I may have to change that. But you know, also one of the first things that you've mentioned is your concern towards your kids. So yeah. maybe in a sense, by doing, you're also distracting yourself uh, to not overworry. Or maybe the superpower is a little bit of both called accountability. Because I think like the, are you accountable? Are you, like, it sounds like the superpower you are in a linical, but like you tend to be as a person that's very accountable. Yeah. So that's why you're always doing, because you're always accountable about something. Am I, is the truth in that or did I like throw it off? No, no, it's, it's very insightful. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very accountable. And I also think accountability is, is an incredibly important trait for, for professionally and personally. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, I don't think I'm distracted. I'm not worried as a, you know, on the spectrum of people. Uh, uh, I don't think I would be considered a worried, uh, person. Uh, but I'm sure work is distracting, you know, in a good way, uh, from a lot of stuff uh, that's happening. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And lots of luck scaling stuff. <laughs> scaling stuff <laughs> all right bye-bye bye-bye thank you real life superpowers